0: This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrian, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me.
1: And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
0: Episode 131, Political Films. <laughs> Hey, I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, affectionately known as Caveman, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find Caveman on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me there at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. And if you listen to us on iTunes, take a minute and leave a review for the podcast on there. All right, Derek, what's going on in pop culture in your world this week, my friend?
1: Well, I don't have a lot of new pop culture news per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, uh, an interesting week with uh, all the working at home and the social distancing that's going on. You would think – Mm -hmm. I have nothing better to do than sit in front of the TV and just consume media. But I've actually given myself like little projects to keep busy. So my basement, my garage, my spare room have never been cleaner or more organized. Nice. Um, And really, while I've been doing that, I've been listening to music and podcasts, but uh, nothing nothing crazy, nothing that uh, I need to go on and on about. And uh, I think over the next couple of weeks, though. I'll have an opportunity to sit down and enjoy some of those classic films. I think as we mentioned before, um, a lot of the um, cable companies are providing free previews to some of their movie channels uh, right now. So my PVR is filling up very quickly with a lot of movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s, some of which I've seen and are my favorites and others I've never seen and always thought, yeah, I'd watch that if it was free. And now they are. So – I think next week and the week after, I'll have some, uh, some interesting topics to discuss, but uh, for this week, really boring, nothing new. No, that's okay. A couple of things on
0: my end uh, that I want to touch base on. So the first one, uh, with all the quarantine that's going on and working from home, I've mentioned before that I'm a, I'm a college professor. So I have to do video class delivery of my classes. I can't obviously go into class. The college is closed. So I was doing a video class, an online class with my uh with my students this week and one of them says to me professor mcbryan why don't you have the video feature turned on for your online lecture so we can see you and i didn't want to say anything but it was because i was wearing a meatballs t-shirt and i have a beard (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so i was like right, well, good. i'll just let my voice do the work here when it comes to delivering this course content you know and i, I did want to be taken seriously after all so i didn't want them to see me uh, but uh, yeah this uh, staying at home stuff i tell you got all this facial hair i just wear t-shirts all the time it's crazy and one of the other things that we do being at home a lot is we watch a lot of netflix so my wife and i started watching tiger king have you heard about this
1: i've been hearing a lot about it uh I, best the best description i heard was it's like a train wreck you can't really look away but you probably should oh. so i'm trying to not expose myself to it too much because i think i'm going to break down and watch it and i don't really want to mm-hmm. spoil too much so try and keep what you're about to say next sp- as spoiler free as it'll possible be spoiler free
0: yeah it'll be spoiler free except that we were watching it uh, tonight I watched a quick episode before I came into the studio here. And there, I'm, again, there's no spoilers or anything, but there's a scene where the guy talks about how he has a Prince Albert. Oh my... And my wife is. My wife goes. What's a Prince Albert? And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is. So I continue you to watch. Live such a sheltered life, my friend. I guess I I, I I continue watching the show. She grabs her phone and starts googling it, and she's like, Uh-oh. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm like, What? She goes. I just looked up what a Prince Albert is. I'm like, What? And she shows me this picture. I'm like, I'm like, God! Ah, put the put the phone away. Oh, here's another picture. Look. I'm like, no, I don't want to see this anymore. It's just awful. So this this show is just causing just massive grief in my household right now, I tell you.
1: Hopefully she didn't look that up on a work device. That's the that's <laughs> kind of search you want
0: to do from a work computer. It's definitely not safe for work, that's for sure, I tell you. But anyway, on that note, let's get started. Calm Blue Ocean, Calm Blue. Calm blue ocean.
1: <laughs> it, there's a lot of like wink wink nudge nudge. He's smoky in the band no! shirt for you. <laughs> so, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Boof from Teen Wolf. Hot as a pistol. Wow. I know. That's pretty amazing. I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd.
0: It's a shock that you never got more girls in high school.
1: <laughs> Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. I don't know. That's a lot to unpack, Chris. I'll like, give you a second here. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we wanted to come back this week and talk about political films, and we live in a supercharged political climate right now, especially if you live in the United States. Politics seem to be more injected into people's everyday lives than ever before, right? I, I think it's it's that's not to say that politics haven't been pervasive in pop culture in the past, because they've always played a role. In movies and TV shows and just art in general. So, Derek, you and I thought we'd put together a top five list this week and we wanted to take a look at quote unquote political films. Now, I don't know about you, Derek, but my list isn't it isn't just my favorite political films. I, I haven't even really done them in any descending order of what I would consider to be like the best political films. I just put together a list of films that deal with politics directly or indirectly that I think are important films. And they're in no particular order. I'm not sure how you approached the the, the subject, but that's kind of how I did it.
1: Well, I, my list, I think, will be a little bit uh, more on the nose. Uh, I tried to pick five films that are about – political office, political candidacy, running for office, running for re-election, or people that hold politically uh, political office, uh, be it a senator, congressman, president, what have you. Um, my movies that I've picked are all pretty mainstream. They're all uh, newer films. And I think that uh, many of the people listening to this podcast will have heard of most of them, if not all of them. Uh, I know sometimes we get some picks that are a little out of left field, but uh, I think for the most part, mine are are pretty straightforward. And I I was actually a little surprised when I put my list together and I was starting to do a little homework. Four out of the five movies on my list all got nominated for uh, best screenplay. Oh, wow! So a lot of strong stories going on in in four of the five movies. And uh, the, the one that wasn't nominated, I still think is a good pick. And when we get there, I'll talk about that one, too. Well, that
0: being said, why don't you kick us off with your number five and we'll work our way up. Okay. So, number five, what have you got?
1: Well, before we do number five, I'd like to throw it an honorable mention. Sure. So, when I was at uh, university, I studied uh, communications and I took a number of film courses where we had to do like film analysis and the history of film and film as a communications tool and blah, blah, blah. And uh, a couple of the courses I took, we had to watch... Uh, various classic movies that dealt with various themes and and we did one, one topic was about like um, using film as a tool like a political tool and we watched the film Bob Roberts have you ever seen it are you familiar with this movie I'm familiar with it it's with Tim Robbins yes right? yes I'm yes. familiar with it but I have not seen it no so – and I haven't seen it since the early 90s when I was at school, which is really the only reason I didn't put it on the list because I didn't feel I could talk about it in that much detail. But the idea is that uh, Tim Robbins is like a, a folk singer, very conservative, very traditional and he decides to run for uh, office. I want to say senator if I remember correctly and it, it's, it's almost like a shot in like a mock documentary style sort of like you see with uh, This is Spinal Tap. Or like a show like The Office where it's clear that it's being filmed but you don't necessarily always see the camera person and um, you'll have the character speaking directly to the camera and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's very much a, a political satire but it also has the, a, a pretty powerful message about how the media can be manipulated or the candidates can manipulate the media to, to – sort of tweak their message to reach a broader audience, which uh, in some cases uh, is done with a tremendous amount of deceit. So anyway, that, that's an honorable mention I wanted to throw out. Any honorable mentions from you before I dive into the list? Uh, no, I think my five were
0: pretty good. I was struggling a bit with uh, with some of them because if I would have stuck to that traditional, like you said, if it was just about you know running for office or people in office, it would have been kind of limited for me. So I, I, like I said, I expanded my scope a little bit, and and I'll get into that as I get into my picks. But I, other than that, I'm pretty happy with my top five. I think so. Okay. Well,
1: yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So my uh, my number five is Bullworth from 1998. Bulworth was written directed and stars warren Beatty. chris have you seen Bulworth?
0: i have not seen it but one thing that i know about this movie is that there's a song in it that i used to always play when i used to dj and it was ghetto superstar was from that movie that's what i okay. remember about
1: it okay so um in 1998 i was working at blockbuster video and this is definitely around the time when i saw pretty much everything that came out on video i watched it whether i had any interest in it or not um my, my love-hate relationship with Warren Beatty, sometimes I love him, sometimes I don't, but I thought I'll give this one a try. The trailer the trailer was pretty interesting. I thought, OK, I'm going to like this. The The basic premise of the movie is he is uh, – Warren Beatty plays Bulworth, who is a senator. That's his character's name. His last name is Bullworth. And um, he, he hires an assassin to kill him. I can't – I think he was diagnosed with an illness if I remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But I think he was diagnosed with an illness and he decides – I'm just going to hire an assassin to kill me. That's a better way to go than have this illness drag out. So thinking that his life is pretty much coming to an end, he decides to do what no politician before him has ever done and tell the absolute truth. And so when he goes on these rallies and these fundraising trips and people start asking him questions, the answers are shockingly honest, like uh, unbelievably honest. Even the people who are asking the questions can't believe the answers they're hearing. They never expect that kind of honesty. And it becomes this really interesting examination of like what would happen if a political candidate actually answered the questions honestly instead of trying to tweak them and and give their canned answers. You know, like one of the questions, he goes to a a black church and they ask him like, hey – when this thing's happened in our community, you came down and you said like that that this would be a top priority. What happened? And he goes, well, three, four years ago, I knew it would be big news. I showed up. I got my face on TV and then I screwed you. I never came back. And they're like, why not? And he's like, you don't contribute to my campaign. And I know you're going to vote for me anyway because I'm the lesser of the two evil candidates. And like people are shocked to hear this kind of honesty. And it, the movie really does a good job of, of exploring that, that idea. So that's my number five, Bulworth from 1998. Directed by Warren Beatty.
0: Okay, I like that one. That's a good one. Mine is uh, a, little bit, a little bit different, okay? So just bear with me as I get into this, okay? I'm going with Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. Now, this movie was remade in 1978, and although the remake was, was pretty good, it's nowhere near the film that the original is. Now, if you're not aware of the film, it's basically a science fiction movie. In which aliens come down to earth in the form of these pod people. They start off in these kind of cocoon things and then they assume the form of real people. They take over their mannerisms, their physical characteristics, and eventually they replace the people totally. What does this have to do with politics, right? Because this has always been a very political film to me. I'm gonna explain why. The director, Don Siegel, He always said that the film was not intentionally political, and it probably wasn't meant to be, I guess, but it embodies the politics of the time. Now, you know me, Derek, I always say this over and over again on this podcast, how important it is to take a film in terms of the context of the times in which it's set. And this is never more prevalent than with this movie. So like I say, it came out in 1956, right during the time of McCarthyism when U.S. Senator Joe McCarthy was basically using scare tactics and demagoguery to accuse everyday people of secretly being communists. And it got to the point in the United States where people didn't trust their neighbors. They didn't even trust their own family members. Because communists look just like you and me. You don't know who they are. They could be anybody. And this movie was a perfect, perfect metaphor for McCarthyism, And even more so, it also reflected the conformity that American society was basically evolving into in the Eisenhower years, because the 50s were all about traditionalism and how everybody was basically Ward and June Cleaver. So the threat of communists infiltrating society was perceived as a real threat to Americans. And McCarthy did what any demagogue does. He plays on people's fears, especially their fears of people that aren't like them. And they do it to create a situation that they can exploit. And Invasion of the Body Snatchers, to me, it embodies all of those things just perfectly. Now, whether it's intentional or not, I believe this is the one of the most political films ever made. And if you think about the remake, it wasn't near as impactful because the threat of communism had morphed into a nuclear arms threat rather than a threat of people infiltrating society. And so it just wasn't as effective. The original film came out at just the right time, with just the right elements in it, to make it one of the single most impactful American films ever made. That's why I went with it on my list.
1: Good, good pick. Mm. Uh, two little side notes about that. Yes. A minute ago, I told you in one of my film classes, I had to watch Bob Roberts. I had mm-hmm. to watch the Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well in that same class. The original from 56? The original from oh, 56, yes. So good. Um, the other thing is, I remember uh, one of the very first times you and I met was um, drafting for a hockey pool. And I remember when we, you know, I uh, we were having a chat and it's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm a big movie buff. I'm a big movie buff. And I remember asking you, Not long after that, hey, Chris, you know, give me a a sense of what do you think are are the 10, I I can't remember if I asked you what are your 10 favorite movies or probably your 10 most important movies. I remember that. That's a
0: long time ago. And I believe it was 10 movies that I think are important for you to see.
1: Important yeah, that sounds about films, right. important,
0: important films is what I think yeah. that
1: we did. Yeah. Probably what it was, was I was telling you, I'm taking this class and mm-hmm. I showed you the syllabus and you went, wow, here, look, these are some good movies on your list. And I said, make me a list. And I remember Body Snatchers was on the list you gave me and- I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I still have that list on a scrap of paper somewhere. Oh it's in one of my folders and I've been sort of, as I've been cleaning up over the last couple of weeks and I've been looking through some of these old folders and finding some like, some pure gold and I'm like, wow. i got to find this list from Chris because I know oh, i got That would it. be
0: so good. If you find that, you got to tell me about it, especially here on the podcast, you should mention yeah, it.
1: If I can find it, we'll, we'll, I'll read down the list. But I remember two or three of the titles, but I don't want to speculate but I do remember Body Snatchers was on there. I, so. will,
0: I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I remember making that list for you and I'll say this there's actually two movies tonight that were on that list this wow. being one okay. and there's
1: another one coming up so okay all right uh okay are number four num- i was gonna say what number yeah. we at number four okay uh my number four movie is dave directed by ivan reitman came out in 1993 stars kevin klein and sigourney weaver Chris, have you seen the movie? Dan? I have not. I'm familiar with it. It's Kevin Kline. I knew that. Um, it's kind of a comedy. Isn't it a
0: guy who like looks like the president? So then he becomes the president or sits in for him or something. But yeah, so I'm, it, I'm, I'm, I've never seen it, but I heard it was. So, the,
1: yeah, the basic premise is um, the the real president uh, it has like uh, some extramarital affairs. And during one of these affairs, he has a heart attack and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And apparently when he sort of steps out. On his wife, they hire lookalikes to make public appearances to sort of set his alibi. And Kevin Klein looks enough like the president that they hire him a couple of times to say like, hey, we need you to just walk through this hallway and wave at all these people and pretend to be the president. Well, of course, he's pretending to be the president when the president – the real president has his heart attack. And so the handlers basically pull him aside and say, look, uh, the president is indisposed for a while and we need you to continue to pretend to be him. Um and, and that and it, you know, hilarity ensues, but it's it's a really good movie. Uh, I've seen it a number of times. I mean, it's Ivan Reitman. Y- you know that's going to give it a certain amount of quality and gravitas right away. And the performances from Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver are great. And it's really a story about, you know, th- this regular guy named Dave who suddenly is thrust into the position of president of the United States. And it's like, well, what would the average person with a heart of gold do – If they now had all the power in the world to make change and so he does he starts to ask you know what seemed like mundane questions he's in a budget meeting one day and he's like well you know you're you're paying this contractor millions of dollars have they delivered what they were supposed to be delivering and they're like well no they're six months behind it's like well why do you keep paying them oh well because that's the way things always are and they're he's like but that makes no sense if we don't pay this contractor for goods they have not yet delivered we can put this money towards you know, feeding the, the feeding the hungry and shelters for the poor and like like to things that would really implement social change. And it's that sort of idealistic, you know, uh, uh, pulling the curtain back from the political machine and just doing things for the right reasons. Once you are put in a position to do so, and uh, you know, again, it's this it's this heartwarming movie about this lovable guy Dave who starts to make change and starts to make the people around him remember how good. Uh, attaining a political office can be, and the kind of good things you can do, not just you know backroom dealings and making money and all these shady things. So, um, it's a uh, it's it's a reminder that high political office can can be something to aspire to, and you can be a leader that uh, the people look up to and want to emulate and want to follow. And in these times, we don't necessarily see as much of that as we used to and dave's a good reflection back on that so that's my number four pick dave
0: good pick good points all around too okay my number four doctor strange love it's from 1964 derek have you ever seen it yeah a few times okay so stanley kubrick obviously great film so when kubrick originally set out to make this movie he based it on peter george's novel red alert and that book it was very serious it was a thriller You know, about nuclear war between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And when Kubrick started to get into making the movie and started, like, you know, developing it, he realized this would play better as a black comedy and as a satire. So that's the route that he went with it. And I think we're better off because of it, because this movie is fantastic. Peter Sellers is unbelievable in it too he plays multiple characters in the film how
1: did he not win an oscar for i know
0: unbelievable shocking i know he plays all these different characters in the movie and it's not the first time he did it he did that in lolita and the mouse that roared and he did it again in the prisoner of zenda but never better than he was in this movie not only is this movie a great satire it's an unbelievable film if you are a film buff if you really like film you've gotta see this movie, it's probably Kubrick's best. And that's saying something the sets in this movie alone the war room looks like something out of a german expressionistic film um there's the the parody of the the characters the names like president merkin muffley like he's bald (laughs) he's bald with a name like that it's so funny um there's the, the slim pickens character and even just how how much of a almost a cartoony parody he is unto himself but the tension In his scene, when he doesn't get the message to stop the attack, and so he rides the bomb, and the world basically ends, this is political satire at its very, very best. And it proves to me that not all political movies have to be serious to be taken seriously.
1: Hey, look at my number four pick with Dave. That's yep. a comedy and it's great. It has a great message. So yep. I got to agree with what you just said. Exactly. hundred percent. Yep. So that was my number four. What do you got for number three? Nice. Good pick. Good yeah, pick. I, I remember when we worked at Blockbuster and I mentioned this before, a lot of throwbacks this, this episode. <laughs> yeah. um, they We used to get um, commercials, video trailers. There was three one hour videos that would show at the first of the month and then they would like do features and say like, tonight we're featuring Kevin Klein and we're going to show you clips from every movie he's been in and you should rent some of them. And I remember when they did a um, Kubrick one, they kept showing the Dr. Love and they kept showing the scene where uh, Peter Sellers is playing the American president and he calls the Russian president. Mm-hmm. And it was just this short snippet where he's like, you know – We've lost track we've lost communication with one of the planes we it, the guy's gone a little funny in the head you know just <laughs> funny in the head and so I can remember the staff yeah. in the store it just it was one of those things where it was the right time and we all just started repeating it and you'd be like wow, man like whenever someone would do something stupid you'd drop a stack of videos or you you'd make a mistake and then we'd go you know, Joe was just a little funny in the head. And of course, everybody in the store got it because we've been watching these commercials all month. Customers were like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. They're, they're bizarre. But, yeah. Peter Sellers was such a
0: unique talent, wasn't he?
1: Oh, yeah. Like he just
0: yeah. is so different than anyone else. He was just, oh, he was so, so unique. Okay, on to your number three. Right. What do you got for uh, me?
1: My number three. Yes. uh, Now, I've noticed that uh, all my movies are from the 90s. So Mm -hmm. I had Bullworth from 98, Dave from 93, and then this number three pick also from 98, Primary Colors. Mm. Primary Colors stars John Travolta, Emma Thompson, Kathy Bates, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and had a really big cast. Uh, Directed by Mike Nichols, who you may have heard of before. Yes. And. it, it is uh, another movie that's very much on the nose with our topic. Uh, for all intents and purposes, John Travolta is playing a Bill Clinton-esque character who is trying to win the Democratic primary so that he can run for president. Um, initially when – the so the movie is based on a book and when the book was written and when they started to do the movie, everyone kept saying, well, of course it's about Clinton. And then they're like, no, no, it's about a guy who's like Clinton, but it's not about Clinton. And then years later, the the author and the movie makers have come back and said like, well, yeah, of course it's about Clinton, but you can't actually say that at the time. And, and obviously they took some license with both the book and the movie to to make things a little bit more entertaining and cinematic as you always have to do when you're you're converting from a book to a movie you have to make those kinds of choices for it to work but uh this one is is very much a uh, a by the numbers Procedural, almost, where it's you—you know—it's told from the point of view of uh, one of the aides who's brought on to help the campaign very early on in the campaign. They—they um, they give the inspirational speech to him, like, "Hey, you should join our campaign. This guy could go all the way to be the president." And you've—you know—you've got this young, wide-eyed, optimistic person who wants to be a part of the machine that's going to change the world. He wants to hitch his wagon to the guy who could very well become the president, and so. It's it's told from his point of view, although you get a lot of very candid um, uh, scenes with the 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 well he's a, the the candidate is the governor so with the governor and with the his the governor's wife and it's got strong performances it's it's follows very closely a lot of the details of the Clinton campaign. So if you're not necessarily familiar with what kind of things go on behind the scenes to win the nomination, there's a lot of that in there as well. Um, and Travolta's never been better I mean, when Travolta is good, he's really good, and this is definitely one of his better performances. It was only a couple years after uh, Pulp Fiction, so he was still uh, in his sort of comeback phase of his career, and he was being taken seriously again, and and he was getting good movie roles, and uh, he did a great job. And uh, again, this this you know this one isn't necessarily like the last one where it's got you like that you know heartwarming message at the end. Let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and the world will be a better place. But it does. Give you an idea of of the amount of work it takes to run for office and some of the things, you know, for better, for worse, that need to be done and that need to be sacrificed uh, both personally and professionally in order for a candidate to. Uh, get the nomination and essentially win the highest office. So uh, my my choice here, number three, Primary Colors. Mm,
0: very good. I've never seen it. So I'm getting an education on that film as well. So yeah. that's great. Okay, my number three, I'm going back. I'm going way back. I'm going back to 1933 with Duck Soup. Now, I want to set this up, okay? So back in the early 80s, we had this station uh, in Canada called The Movie Channel. I've mentioned it here on the podcast before, Derek. Yep. And although it it showed like newer movies that had come out recently at the time, they also sometimes showed old black and white films on the movie channel. And one that caught my eye as a young kid was a Marx Brothers movie called Monkey Business. And when I saw it, I had never seen anything so funny in my entire life. The characters of Groucho and Harpo and Chico – they were all so different and they were all so, so funny. And my God, I, I, as a kid, I was just blown away by them. So it made me want to, it made me want to watch more of their stuff. So a few years later, I saw it out and I, and I watched Duck Soup because I'd heard about it when it came out in 1933. It didn't do very well with audiences. It wasn't quite a bomb, but it didn't, it didn't do really well. But as time has passed, I think it might be one of their most important films, so why is it political? It's got the the regular Marx Brothers, you know, with Margaret DuBont is is in it as well. And yes, Zeppo is in it too. Uh, and Groucho plays Rufus T. Firefly. And he's put in charge of this country called Fredonia. And Chico and Harpo are spies who try to get into Fredonia and bring it down. And there's almost a war as these two countries fight. And it's all this political fighting that goes on. And what happens between countries when they don't get along or when they think they're different, but really at its heart, it's two guys fighting over Margaret Dumont's affections, even though they just want her money like they do in every single Marx Brothers movie. And Margaret Dumont, she was so, so good in the Marx Brothers movies. like My God. And the whole thing breaks down into this big song and dance number, and they all basically pelt Margaret Dumont with rotten fruit. Uh, when she sings the National Anthem of Fredonia. So it, and, and just it, it's sort of that typical Marx Brothers style. It's irreverent, it's fast-paced, it's hyper, and it's really, really satirical. And I will say this, if you enjoy comedy movies, and who doesn't, right? I would strongly suggest that you go back and watch the Marx Brothers, whether it's this movie or one of their other films. They were probably the biggest comedy geniuses that ever lived, And Duck Soup is a political satire like no other, and it deserves to be on the list of all-time great political films, so that's why I included it.
1: So I mentioned earlier at the top that I have a PVR that's filling up with films. Mm-hmm. D- Duck Soup is on my PVR yes. right now. Yes. I recorded it last week. I thought, I've never seen a Marx Brothers movie start to finish. Oh, and I knew, goodness. I saw it, I recognized the title and I'm like, I'm just going to record this. I'll get to it eventually. So it's funny that you put it on your list and that I have it on the PVR. Now I know. So by this time next week, I'm going to watch yes. it. We'll talk about it. Oh, I
0: think that's great. And and it's not even their favorite like for me personally it's not my favorite marx brothers movie because it's not it's more it's more satirical you know and that's it's very political whereas some of their other ones like monkey business and a night at the opera so good like it's just so funny those guys are they're unbelievable like they're unlike anything else i've ever seen since they're so good but i'm i'm really interested to know how you like duck soup so we'll see Uh
1: I'll give it a viewing and uh we'll we'll discuss it uh on our next show. Yes,
0: we shall. In the meantime, what do you got for number two, my friend? All
1: right, so my number two I almost put this at number one because I think the 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 message of this movie, although it was from the nineties is even more important today. And of all the movies on my list, if you've never seen any of them and you're going to watch one, I think this is probably the one to watch and, but I'm still going to put it at my number two and it's from 1997. It's called wag the dog. It's directed by Barry Levinson. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro among a a number of other well-known actors. Chris, have you seen wag the dog? So I've heard lots about wag the dog, but no, I have never seen it. Okay. So the, um, the saying wag the dog basically uh, – again, I wasn't really sure of the origins of it, so I had to look it up real quick. But the idea with wag the dog is um, – the, the saying is when you uh, want to divert attention away from something else. That's that's the expression you use wag the dog. Uh, so the, the idea here is a – I think it's supposed to be the president, if I remember correctly, um, is caught having an affair with a young lady. Uh, I think she's even underage, if I remember correctly. And – he the president is up for re-election in a very short time frame, and they're like, "Uh oh, this is going to kill his campaign. This is going to kill his re-election." So his uh, political consultant, campaign manager, chief of staff—I can't remember the position the character holds—but Dustin Hoffman or um, Robert De Niro, rather, is the the president's. We'll call him campaign manager, even if that's not correct. Uh, has to come up with some way to spin this so that it won't hurt the candidates' chances of re-election. So what he does is he goes to his friend Dustin Hoffman, who's a movie producer, and he says, look, I need your help to um, create a pageant. The term he uses is pageant. I need you to create a pageant, something we can put on TV that will distract the public from what really happened and to get our candidate re-elected. And so what ends up happening is Dustin Hoffman's character creates a fake war with albania if i remember correctly um and they they shoot a whole bunch of film on against a green screen and they they make up everything they basically say look at the first gulf war because you gotta remember this movie was uh came out in 97 so they're like look at the gulf war from the early 90s once there were pictures on tv of uh the american the american firepower blowing up the bad guys. Everybody was on board with that. They're like, oh, yeah, look at this. We're awesome. Look at how great our our firepower and our military are. Uh, We're totally going to win this war. Let's do it. And so, building on that idea, they create a fake war and they make all sorts of things they can throw on TV to convince the public that there was a need to do this at this time. Don't worry about what was going on with this affair with this young lady. That's no longer important. Just watch what's in front of you today. And it really is a very uh, the the movie sends a very powerful message about um, how the media it, at this time it would have just been television because there wasn't internet in '97 at least not widespread internet how what people were were being told what people were being shown on TV was being taken seriously because that's the only uh, you, you trusted the people bringing you the news and you hear now terms like fake news. This was fake news before that term existed. It, w- But in this case, it literally was fake. Uh, it wasn't up for just debate about whether or not this is someone uh, trying to spin something. This was genuine, uh, false images being created. And at one point in the movie, uh, I think it's the CIA or the, the special, the Secret Service, I think it might be the CIA, goes and, and takes the movie producers aside and he's like, you are committing a crime. You are telling the American public that there is a war. And they they turn the tables on him and they go, there is a war. Have you not seen any points to a television? He goes, I can see it right now. It's right there on TV. And he's like, I have an Intel satellite that tells me that that's not true. There's no war there. And he goes, well, then your satellite's wrong. You've paid money for something that doesn't work. That's a problem. And the, like, he turns the table on him right away. It's not, yeah, you caught me. I, I, I'm using special effects to create a war that doesn't exist. It's, of course, the war exists. It's right there on TV. And the movie is more relevant now than it, than it was in the 90s and uh, it, it's it's both a, uh, a commentary on how things can be and to a certain extent how they are now, but it's also a cautionary tale of you know just because it's on TV doesn't necessarily mean you, you can take it at face value. And in, a, in the time we are today where you have access to internet and social media and multiple sources, you know, it, it emphasizes that much more just because they say it on the nightly news doesn't necessarily mean you can take it at face value. It never hurts to try and get a second opinion. So Wag the Dog from 97 by Barry Levinson is my number two. Favorite. My
0: goodness, that movie sounds like it was way ahead of its time.
1: It very much was very, very much. It was
0: very interesting. Oh, man. OK, my number two, 1984's The Killing Fields. Now, I had Yancey watch this movie a few years ago here on the podcast. I always think of it as one of the more lesser known or at least lesser appreciated films of the 80s. Um, But it's, oh, it's one of the very best films of the decade. It's the other film that I told you about is on that list that I gave you. And that that was when I
1: watched it. I'd never seen it before. You gave me the list. You told me what it was about. And you said, this is who's in it. And I'm like, wow, that's a good cast. And I very specifically remember within probably a month of you giving me that list, that was the first movie on the list that I hadn't seen that I, I watched. And uh, I loved it immediately, and I've seen it a few times since then. And when you and Yancy did your uh, review on it, a couple, I guess it's been almost a couple of years ago now, it gave me an opportunity to go back and watch it again because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And man, oh man, does it hold up. It is a great movie. Oh, it's
0: so great. It's all about the Vietnam War, but it's about Vietnam's forgotten neighbor, Cambodia. Cambodia, yeah. And it's told through the eyes of New York Times journalist Cindy Schomburg. And he has a local Cambodian assistant, Dith Pran, and together, what they're basically trying to do is tell the Cambodian story to the world, and they're trying to bring it to light. And it's all about how a corrupt and power-hungry regime, in this case the Khmer Rouge, try to seize power in Cambodia, and then they engage in this massive cleansing of any people that are smart or educated, like that would possibly be a threat to their control over the country. But from the other side of the coin, it shows the ineffectiveness of the Nixon doctrine and how by getting involved in the area and then basically leaving all these countries out to dry, you know, it led to the slaughter of millions of people in Southeast Asia. This movie, this film is highly political. It's almost documentary in its style, and it's very, very powerful. And the end of the movie, and I've mentioned this before, um, when we did the the review with, with Yancey, the when, the end when Prawn and Sydney are reunited at the Red Cross uh, Hospital. You don't cry at that. Oh man, I cry. every if You watch that scene. You're, something's something's wrong. wrong with you. I cry every time I watch that movie at the end, and it's John Lennon's "Imagine" plays over the credits. Oh, oh now, yes. Now, I, I studied political science in university. When I was eighteen, I first decided I was going to go away to school. I felt that I wanted to be a journalist, so I decided to go to school and study political science. I thought that would help sort of set me up to do that for a living, to be a journalist. I ended up obviously taking a different path, as many of us do in life, but I was inspired to become a journalist after I saw two films. This was one of the films, and the other one is number one on my list, which we'll get to in a second. But the other thing with this movie is that it it just goes to show that political ideology has a real effect on lives. And no film makes this point better than The Killing Fields. And that's why it's number two on my list.
1: Yeah, good pick. Great pick. And with your little hint there, I think I know where your number one's going. And we can get to that in a second. You mm-hmm. probably guess. Yeah. So my number one. So I want before I get to my number one, I want to reiterate. So I got five movies on my list. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, they're all from the 1990s. And four of the top – so my numbers five, four, three, and two movies that we've already talked about. All four of them were nominated for best screenplay or best adapted screenplay uh, at the Oscars. And the only one on my list that didn't get a nomination is my number one pick, which is The American President. It was directed by Rob Reiner. It was written by Aaron Sorkin. And oh, wow. of all the people who wrote uh, uh, the, the the material on my list, if you said – you know who on this list do you think <laughs> didn't get nominated for an Oscar? Aaron for Sorkin movie? would be dead last. Like, you yeah. would think that you would think Sorkin would be yeah. right at the top of the list, but it's yeah. like no. I thought that was kind of funny that he's the only one on my list that didn't get nominated. Right. So anyway, The American President from 1995, directed by Rob Reiner. It stars Michael Douglas. It stars Annette Bening. It stars Martin Sheen. It's got a huge cast, and um, it, it if you watched The West Wing, which I know you haven't really gotten into it, but anyone who's watched The West Wing, it, this is basically the the blueprint for the west wing tv show so normally when uh, you know there's this television there's this invention called television and on this invention they show shows and when they're trying to figure out what show to to throw out they give you a pilot the, the first episode and then based on the strength of that show they decide if they want to make more shows and if you haven't seen pulp fiction that's pretty much me, <laughs> pretty much verbatim right the, yeah, the, pretty the much. yeah. <laughs> so it, for all intents and purposes the movie the american president is like the pilot For the west wing series so if you've watched the west wing series and you liked it there's a very good chance you're gonna like this American president movie if you haven't already seen it um so it has uh, michael douglas as the president and it's basically a uh, a slice of life from the highest political office in the world you have uh it, it, very much like the West Wing TV show it shows you the chief of staff and it shows you the the press secretary and the communications director and and all the people that help advise the president and and you know hold all of these top offices the, the senior staff in the white house that that run the country and in this case it's very idealized it's all these people who are You know the best at what they do, the smartest they can possibly be. Which, you know, in my opinion, those people that hold those jobs should meet those qualifications. Like you're you're running the biggest, arguably the greatest country in the world, you should have the best people at the top of the food chain, helping to run it, helping to make those decisions. And this movie, uh, much like the West Wing TV show, leans on that. It's like these people want to change the world. They they want to do the right thing. Now the story in the movie is based around the president is coming up for reelection uh his wife has recently passed away and uh, so he's a single father in the white house and he meets annette benning's character who is a lobbyist and he likes her and he decides to start dating her and then this of course the political opponents Take this as an opportunity to start to attack his character because they couldn't do that previously because he was a widower and his wife just died. And If you attack his character, that's not going to be something that voters would like. But now that he's got a girlfriend, that – Opportunity to strike that low blow is back on the table, and so his opposition start to use that. They try and use smear campaigns, and they try and you know question his his character. and Should he be dating this woman? And should he be having her stay overnight in the West Wing or in the the residence of the White House while his daughter is down the hall in the next room? And rah rah rah. Again, it's very '90s, so some of the things that that are quote unquote scandalous from the '90s would like be nothing in today's world. But it's it's this idea of if these people are being held to a higher standard, um, uh, you know, how do they go about living their lives and doing their jobs? And, and then it's partly asked the question, like, should they be held to a higher standard? And, and I think the answer is arguably yes, but it's. Can you still hold them to a higher standard but allow them to, to live lives? And the performances are great. It's written by Sorkin, as we mentioned before. The the dialogue is great, directed by Rob Reiner. The directing is great. There is so much to like about this movie. Really, the only criticism I think people could have about this movie is it's a little too sappy because the, the, the candidate that's in office, I believe he's supposed to be a Democrat, they really paint the picture of he is the absolute best guy. Yay! And if you're, uh, if you're a politically leaning Democrat, of course you're going to love this movie. If you're not, I think you might feel that it's a little over the top in some places. But hey, the kind of people that made this movie, they have political views and obviously this is the movie they wanted to make and so you you get what you get. But aside from that, if you can sort of put that aside, if this isn't your political bag, I still think it's a a good movie. It's very entertaining. Um, And uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. We're doing a top five politics. What better movie than put at number one than a movie called The American President?
0: So you're telling me it's the movie is about uh, the president and he's 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 widowed and he wants to date someone else, and that's a big scandal. Boy, how quaint. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Boy, how I tell you. How oh, in changed uh, you know, in years, 20 years? Yeah. I tell you.
0: Okay, my number one, like I mentioned before, um, there was two movies that I saw as a young person that inspired me to go away to university and try to become a journalist. The Killing Fields was one, obviously, I mentioned, and the other was from 1976, All the President's Men. It was funny because after the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there was a lot of allegories that were made, you know, to Nixon and political dirty tricks and election interference and all that stuff. And my wife was asking me all these questions. She always comes to me about stuff like this. She she always calls me her, her walking encyclopedia. And so I said, you know what we need to do? We need to go back and watch all the president's men. And I tell you, it's just as good now as it was in 1976. What an amazing film. And not only is it incredible as it tells the story of Woodward and Bernstein as they're trying to get to the bottom of the Watergate scandal, the fact is you know how it ends. There should yeah. be zero suspense here. That The president resigns. It's like, the, it's like watching Titanic. You it's like know? watching Apollo 13. Yeah, you know how the movie ends. But the journey is so well done. It doesn't matter. The way they piece everything together and the shady and the bizarre characters that they come across— it it makes it seem like this movie could take place right now today and be just as relevant, just as important, and just as real as it was with the Nixon presidency. And I know I'm often accused of giving the textbook answers on this podcast, and so I'm sorry for that, but All the President's meant is hands down the best political film ever made. It was better than Rocky. It should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1976. It holds up. It's like I say. It's just as relevant today as it ever was. Maybe even more so. That's my number one.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good pick. I, I figured that was going to be on your list, so I knew I didn't have to cover it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I haven't I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I've only I think I've only seen it once, maybe maybe twice. Definitely uh, um, only a couple of times. But it was very powerful. I do remember. Uh, the, you know th- What the movie was about and the performances and the impact Because for me, part of the reason I want to rewatch a movie Is either I find it exceptionally entertaining And I just want to be entertained some more uh, If it's like, maybe if it's a comedy I want to laugh some more Or if it's a good action movie I want to see those explosions I find with dramas though it, it, I'll often rewatch them If I remembered them having a strong impact But I don't remember the specifics and I'm like, maybe I should go back and watch it. This is one of those ones that I kind of feel like I don't have to rewatch it because I do remember it so well because it was just, it, it left such an impact the first time through. And I know that might sound a little cheesy, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely worthy of the number one pick for sure. And like I say, it's it's still
0: relevant today, even more so, you know, with everything that's gone on. And and the other thing too with this, the, this movie I should mention um, is that I read the book, and the book was fantastic, but the movie might even be better than the book, which, which, which actually brings to mind we maybe need to do that as a topic at some point. Any movies out there that – because usually the book is always better than the movie.
1: Well, I know we did a podcast about disappointing adaptations, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe we do the other way. Like what great – what movies – what books became movies where they were just as good, if not better?
0: Yeah, where was the movie better than the book? Because, yeah. like I say, usually it's the other way around. Usually, like, you'll make a watch a movie, like, oh, that was good, but the book was so much better. Well, yeah. maybe there's some movies that are actually better than the book, and uh, this would probably make my list. I'm going to put a little note, and that could be uh, something we could always take another look at. But anyway, so that's our list of political films. It's time now to have some fun with
1: Caveman.
0: Well, there's nothing more political than a presidential election in the United States. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay, can I make this really easy for you? I'm going to mention the year of a presidential election. And I want you to name me the film that was number one at the box office that year. And also, name the film that won the Best Picture Oscar. Holy cow. you got okay. two, two chances for each year to get points. I'm going to give you 12 years in total. 24 total points. You're an Oscar trivia guru. Well. Right?
1: I, I, I think I'm okay, but I think I'm going to, if the over and under in this was, I'm sorry, how many questions? 12 questions, two points. So 24 points. Exactly. If we put the over and under at 12 and a half, I think under is probably a safe bet on this one.
0: No, I don't know. I think you're pretty good. I mean, like I say, you're okay. Okay. you're, we'll you're an Oscar trivia guru. So I'm ex- yeah, but I mix up the years a lot. So. Uh, okay, yeah. let's, let's, I'm going to expect that you're going to get okay. all of those right. Oh so if God. you can, okay. if you can just get like half of the box office champs, that'll give you 18 points. Yeah. Right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I see. tell you what: if you get fifteen, if you even get fifteen, you get to win a prize, and the prize is, I'm gonna send you a copy of Batman number five sixty eight, Fruit <laughs> of the Earth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little inside joke there. Sure. Yeah. Because I know that oh. you you need that one, and I got it for you, so I'll, yep. I'll I'll mail it to you. Okay. So I'm gonna give you the year of a presidential election. You name the Oscar winner for Best Picture and the domestic box office champion from that year, okay? Okay. super okay. easy. All right, we're going to start with 2016. What was best picture of
1: 2016? Hmm. <laughs> I am not sure. Uh I'm trying to think. Okay, so that would have, we're in uh 20, so it would only been a few years ago. Uh uh-huh. was it Moonlight? It was Moonlight, correct. Okay, good. Very I almost good. said La La Land like, no wait, no, no, okay, Moonlight.
0: What was the number one film at the box office that year though?
1: hmm
0: it wasn't moonlight
1: uh was it one of the star wars movies was it maybe the force awakens uh, no it was finding dory
0: no finding pff, dory 486 million all right okay. 2012 barack obama won his second term that year what was the best picture oscar of 2012 i don't know the artist no close it was argo Argon. Oh,
1: right, right.
0: Any idea what uh, film was number one at the box office
1: in 2012? 2012.
0: So one, of, one of your movies. Uh,
1: 2012. Was it, uh, was it The Avengers? It was The Avengers. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I yeah. almost said one of the Marvel hero movies for 2016, but I was like, no, I didn't think that was right.
0: You can just All pretty right. much go with any of the Marvel comics movies and uh, it'll be one of them. Okay. What was the Best Picture Oscar of 2008? I have no idea. Like no clue. It was Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, okay. Slumdog okay. Millionaire. Any okay. idea what the number one uh, movie at the box office was that year? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was, was a Christopher it? Nolan film. Oh, was it uh, Batman Returns? No, close. It was the Dark, Dark Knight. Dark It was the yes. Dark Knight, Yes. Okay, going back to two thousand and four. What, what? Literally was
1: he... just going back year yep. by year. Yes, I mean, it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, it's gonna get uh, it's gonna get easier.
0: I think two thousand and four. Yeah
1: uh okay best
0: picture oscar from 2004
1: hmm best picture uh oof. was it had to do with boxing oh boxing yes really uh the fuck no uh i'm sorry the
0: times up. i don't know it was million dollar baby oh yeah, I only saw it once. Didn't really like it. Do you know what film was number one at the box? You didn't like Million Dollar Baby? What the hell's up no. there with you? What, what film was number one at the box office in 2004? I'll give you a hint. It was an animated film.
1: Oh, that didn't help. Um, Toy Story 2.
0: No, it was Shrek 2. Oh. Shrek 2. I All got right. the two part. You did. How about uh, 2000? How about 2000? Best picture of 2000.
1: Uh, was it, well, it wouldn't have been that Titanic cause that was the year before. Uh, was it the Hurt Locker? No, it was Gladiator.
0: Oh, Gladiator. Was- Do you know yeah. what film was number one at the box office that year? Um, it was a live action
1: based okay. on an animated thing. Oh, geez. I, I got nothing. I don't know.
0: It was how the Grinch stole Christmas.
1: No. <laughs> I right. never saw it. How about
0: 1996. Do you know the best picture from
1: 1996? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was that was the Jerry Maguire year, wasn't it? So let's see who won that year. That was it was
0: boring. Yeah, Elaine yeah. on Seinfeld hated it. Oh, was it Schindler's List? No, it was the English Patient. Oh, the nice. English Patient. That,
1: in, that was one of the answers. Our ones from last year, or yeah. from last week. Yes, so English Patient. Yeah. In
0: 1996, do you know what the number one film at oh, the box so. office was? It was a okay. big
1: over the top. Yeah, uh, let me think. That would have been... Was it Independence Day? It was Independence Day. All right, I got Good. one. Nice. All right,
0: 1992. Best, best film at the Oscars from 1992. I'll give you a hint. It was a Western.
1: Oh, was it Unforgiven? It was Unforgiven, yes, correct. Uh, okay, and you want to know what topped the box office in 92? What topped the box office in 92? Uh-huh. It was a sequel. It was a superhero nice. sequel. Was it Batman Returns?
0: It was Batman Returns. Congratulations. Yay. Yay. All right. Going back to 1988. Best film from 1988.
1: Hmm. Good question. 88. I don't know.
0: Tom Cruise was in it.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. In a best picture? Yep. In 1988? Mm-hmm. Oh, it wasn't top gun i know that no it was uh, it
0: was rain man oh rain, rain man. man oh
1: that was levinson wasn't
0: it yeah now do you know which uh number the number one uh film at the box office was from 1988 hint we reviewed it recently on the podcast
1: uh <laughs> i don't remember no i have no idea
0: it was who framed roger rabbit oh jeez. i All was right. just about to say never
1: saw it but wait
0: you did 1984. We're going back to 1984. You know the film that won Best Picture in 84?
1: Uh no, I
0: do not. It was Amadeus. Amadeus. Box. Yancey would know that one. He'd love that movie. Right. 1984. Box. Any idea what film was number one at the box office in 84? Mm. It was recently remade. Ooh. Very poorly. Footloose. Uh, close. It was Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. 1980. It's funny because I think if I took the all the '80s and the '70s, I, you could name any year in there, and I could tell you the best picture Oscar. But I bet
1: you. Well, <laughs> that's why you're better at this than I am. I know. Okay, nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty best film. Uh, the the disco one. John Travolta. Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I won't oh, no, say Saturday. Night no, Night. it was
0: a boring. Movie. Saturday
1: fever. No, it was a boring. Oh, movie. Chariots Fire. No,
0: even more boring than that. Ooh. The year it was before Chariot's, Chariots of Fire.
1: Fire, it was. uh nah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> Robert, no Ra-
0: Robert Redford, no?
1: Oh, uh, Ordinary uh, People. Oh, I was going to say out of Africa. I heard that was really boring.
0: 1980. Too. What's the number one film at the box office in 1980?
1: This is an easy one. Was it Empire Strikes Back? It was Empire Strikes Back. Yay! Very
0: good. It beat the runner-up by twice as much.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. The
0: runner-up was nine to five. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, geez. Okay, 1976. We're almost done.
1: 1976. Best film. The, I'll best give you
0: a hint. The best film and the number one movie at the box office were the same film was it Rocky? It was Rocky. So you get two points there. And then finally, 1972, best film of 1972, widely Uh, believed to be one of the greatest American films ever made. Godfather. It was the Godfather. Nice. Now this is a tough one. It's a disaster movie that was number one at the box office. Tower Inferno. No, it was before that. It was the Poseidon, Poseidon Adventure. Adventure. Yeah, <laughs> I knew if
1: you said disaster, I'm like it has to be one of the two. <laughs> Jeez. So, okay. All
0: right. One, so two, I made it kind of hard for you. Pretty four, hard. Five, six, seven. I'm just gonna eight, go back nine. here. I only got nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got eight. Oh. I got eight. Either way, you don't get your copy of uh, Batman number five sixteen, unfortunately. Mm. So I'm going to hang on to it a bit longer. Apparently, uh, but uh, I made That's it hard, really
1: hard. Man, that was really difficult.
0: Really hard. See, I I, I thought it was going to be easier because if you could name basically any movie from the '70s or any year from the '70s or '80s, and I could tell you the best picture Oscar. I thought oh, well, you would know it yeah. too.
1: No, no, I'm I'm not I'm not good like that. I'm like I can get into the once I know what year we're talking about, I can probably rhyme off half of the nominees, but just coming out off the top of my head yeah. no clue like are you do you, are you better at a block of
0: years later like if i if i said like 2003 or something like that could you like call it out even i know 2003 no, not even close 2003 was return to the king even return- i remember
1: that oh the lord of the rings one yeah
0: yeah i don't know I, I know the oscar stuff i guess okay so anyway next show uh it's gonna be my movie i get to nominate something you know i think i might go with the last great movie comedy it was also John Landis's last film that was worth watching. And this movie to me truly marked the end of an era, and that's 1988's Coming to America. Nice. I'm going to have you go back and watch Coming to America from 1988. And next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk all about that movie. You up for the challenge?
1: I am. I've seen it a few times. Yeah. But I haven't seen it in a while. Me either. Uh, I haven't seen it I in a wanna long time. I want to say it's in rotation on those movie channels we're getting right now because I think oh, nice. I, I flipped past it a couple of weeks ago. So it might be available on demand if it's not still in the lineup. So
0: Very good. So you can watch right. it there. I, I believe I'm it's available the- on uh, Netflix as well. There you go. I'm pretty sure that it is. So I'll have to check it out on there. Like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time, so it should be a lot of fun. But uh, anyway, if you want to reach out to Derek uh, on Twitter, um, it, at Amaron underscore DM, I'm on Twitter at CMcbryan and popgojaworld.com is our website where you can reach out to us and email us. We'll certainly get back to you on that. But in the meantime, until next week, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Gozier World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.